0: Thank you, Elizabeth, as well. Both you guys did a fantastic job. We are just so extremely blessed at First Baptist with the musical talent that we have here. So I praise God for that. Um, I'm Josh Stewart. I'm the children and family pastor, in case you don't know. Um, and once again, round two tonight, I can fill in for Cliff. And Cliff should be back in towards the middle of the week. Um, so you can look forward to hearing him next week. Um, so let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your grace and your goodness thank you that your grace is sufficient. I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our sinfulness, that you continually just remind us to repent of our sins and to turn back to you. And so I pray that we would, God, with hearts that want to worship you and hearts that want to honor you. Be with me as I communicate your word, God, in an imperfect vessel. But help me be an instrument of righteousness tonight through the power of the Holy Spirit. And help our minds and our hearts to be open to what your word has to say to us. We're so grateful for you, and we're so thankful for all that you've done. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, you know, those moments in your life as a parent, if you've been a parent before or you are a parent, that you do something, and pretty quickly after you do it, you realize that was a pretty big mistake. Um, I've had a few of those in my life, uh, but one incident comes up to my mind in particular. <clears throat> is Naomi was about two years old, and we were living up in southern Indiana. I was in seminary. And we were trying to put her to bed one night, and I love Naomi so much, but she is an extremely strong-willed child, and she likes to get her way. Well, as a two-year-old, you know, what's the saying? It's um, terrific twos, isn't it? Um, When they're two years old, they go through a a phase that they start to challenge you, and they start to challenge authority. There was one night in particular that she's sitting in her room, and we tell her she needs to go to bed, and we leave the room. Well, she doesn't want to go to bed, so she begins to scream and yell. And then she keeps opening the door to her room. So remember, I'm holding on to the handle of the door and she is trying to open it. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, this is horrible. Like, what is going on here? She's screaming and she's yelling and she's knocking and hitting the door. And you know, we're going in there, no, you need to go to bed. And we're we're disciplining her and we're we're going back and forth. Nothing is changing. And so I had this fantastic idea. As I'm sitting here holding the door, I'm thinking she needs to realize that there is consequences to her actions. She needs to realize she can't handle herself this way and not be punished for it. I really did this. And so she's fine, so I opened it up and I said, you know, move out of the way. And I grabbed her mattress. It was one of the, she was in like a toddler bed. So I grabbed the mattress out of her room and I just take it completely out of her room and put it in our room, right? And so at this point, now she's sobbing because I've taken her mattress. Maggie is watching the whole thing and laughing, I mean hysterically. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, she needs to realize she can't do this. So I take her mattress out, I give her a pillow and I give her a blanket, and she's forced to sleep on the floor the rest of the night. Now the funny thing is, I mean, the whole story's funny, but what's even funny in particular is it actually worked. I mean, she calmed down and she went to bed after I did this. And so we had this mattress that is sitting in our bedroom and I realized that probably wasn't the wisest decision to make. If you haven't had kids before, don't take mattresses out of their room. But she had to realize that there is consequences to her actions. She can't throw a fit as a two-year-old and get away with it. Well, that's what, kind of what we're going to look at today. God doesn't take the mattress out of our room. But God reminds the people in Malachi's day that there is consequences to their actions. And they need to understand that. And we need to understand that as well. And so chapter 2 of Malachi can kind of be viewed in this way. The chapter one we talked about this morning and what I talked about back in November, God warns them of so many things and reminds them of all the sinfulness that they have in their life. In chapter two, what God is saying is, if you don't change your ways, if you don't worship me with your heart and honor me with your actions, then there's going to be consequences. And God lays out the consequences to the priest in chapter two. And so what we're going to examine tonight is our main point is the same as this morning. Actually, this um. The verses from last night all the way to this morning, and most commentaries, they kind of group them the same. So still an overarching theme that we're continuing down from this morning. And so the main point is the main point we had this morning, that when we fail to worship God with our hearts, we fail to honor Him with our actions. And we're going to examine the consequences of our sinfulness, but then we're going to look at some practical steps that we can take once our hearts begin to worship God for who He is. There's practical steps that we can take that is outlined in Malachi chapter 2 that will allow us to say, how can I practically do this in my life? And Malachi gives us some examples of that. And so we're going to start in verse 1 and go down through verse 9. We're going to walk through it together. So verse 1, after telling all the things that he said this morning, that I talked about this morning in chapter 1, he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, And now, O priest, this command is for you. So God was addressing the priest and the people this morning, but he turns his attention directly to the priest. Now we don't have priests anymore because of what Christ has come and he has died. He was the sacrificial lamb that we talked about. He died on the cross for our sins and he became the high priest. Now priests in the New Testament or the, the New Covenant age we're actually considered priests. Uh, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says that you're a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Ones have been set aside for God's own possession. And so these priests, these commands that we talk about today, they are specifically for the priests in Malachi's day. But we can take some applications. We can take some general truths that he talks about and we can apply it to our lives as well. So just because he's addressing the priest doesn't mean this can't speak to us today as well. So he starts in in verse 2. He says, I'm talking to you, priest. And he says, if you will not listen, if you will not take to heart To give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you did not lay it to heart. And so God says, if you do not listen, if you do not take this to heart. Now this word, take to heart, it means a concept of determining a course of action based on information that you just received. Pretty much what God is saying is, I've told you what I've told you in chapter 1. Now, to take it to heart is that we listen and obey. We just don't hear it with our ears, but we take into action what God has warned them of, what God has commanded us to do. It's hearing what God has said and putting it into action. So he says, if you do not listen to me, if you do not take to heart what I'm saying to you, there's going to be consequences. And God lays out a list of consequences for the the priest of what will happen. He says in verse 2, like I just read, and I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. And so God talks about the cursing and we talked about earlier today that there's drought and there's crop failure and there's economic hardships. There's a curse that has come before them and it's because of their sinfulness, their sinfulness to God. But God reminds them it's gonna get even worse. More curses will come upon you if you do not listen to what I have to say. If you do not take it to heart and change your ways, Cursing will come before you. There will be more economic hardships. There will be more crop failures. There will be more drought. And then he goes on and he reminds him even more what the curse will be. Verse 3. He says, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. And the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So, God reminds them that first of all, He's going to rebuke their offspring. Their children are going to be affected by their sinfulness. Their children will, will come upon the curse as well if they do not change their ways. See, sinfulness does not just affect you as an individual. When we sin, it affects the people around us as well. And we talk about here is that your offspring will be cursed. You know, some commentaries debate what exactly does this mean? Does it mean they won't be able to have children? Or does it mean that they will have children, but the children will turn against them? And the children rebel against them and rebel against God. Huge ramifications, consequences of our sin. And then he says something that nobody wants to happen to them. He said, I'll sprung dung on your faces and the dung of your offering. Now, I don't think literally God meant that he was going to spread dung on their faces, but what he is saying here is he's reminding them that he's going to make them unclean because of what they've done. He's going to humiliate them in front of everybody. He says, priest, if you continue to dishonor me, you will be humiliated. You will be declared unclean. You know, he talks about, you know, your sacrifices to me. He talks about they're polluting your altar, he says in chapter one. It's evil in what you're doing. And so the dung of your sacrifices, what you've done to me, is such a disgrace to me. I'm going to rub it on your faces. I'm going to humiliate you in front of everybody and declare you unclean. Sinfulness brings about humiliation in our lives. Obviously, it brings about un- when we become unclean because of our sin. And then jump down to verse 8. More consequences. We see that their offspring will suffer. They will be cursed. They will be humiliated. And in verse 8. He said, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instructions. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. You have caused many to stumble. That just sticks out when I hear that. He said, you guys are the priest. You're the keeper of God's law. People come to you because you represent God. But you have caused many people to stumble. You've caused many people to trip and to fall because they're asking, there's a standard. There must be a standard of how we honor and glorify God. Let's look to the priest. Let's see what they're doing. We see that the priest are dishonoring God. They're polluting his altar. It caused many to stumble in their instructions. They corrupted the covenant of Levi. Now Levi, those are just priests were the descendants of Levi's. When God said they've corrupted the covenant of Levi's, the covenant that God makes with Levi, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But they've corrupted it. They've corrupted the priestly order. All has been corrupted. People are now stumbling all over Israel. And it goes back to the priests and the way that they're living their lives. And then lastly, consequences we see they're despised before the people. Verse 9, and so I'll make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. And see, what the priests were doing is they were, you know, they're kind of trying to be that cool teacher in high school, you know, let you break the rules, maybe that substitute teacher that didn't really follow directions loosely because they wanted the kids to like them. And so what they were doing is they are oh, you know, you don't have to sacrifice your best. Just give us your leftovers. Yeah, you know, me and you, we can be buddies. We can be cool. We'll be popular. They're trying to win the popular vote among the people of Israel. But God was saying, listen, they're despising you. They don't even respect you. You think you're doing this to gain popular vote and to claim the people's favor. But all you're doing is you're being despised before all the people. Because you're not keeping my ways and you're showing partiality in your instructions. See, sinfulness, so often in our lives, we do it to, to earn popul- the popular vote. We want people to like us. We want people to think highly of us. But in reality, that's exactly the opposite of what's really going on, is that we try to come across as being, you know, the Christian that sins or the Christian that's down with culture. So often in our lives, what will happen is we will cause many people to stumble and will be despised. Because we'll come across as hypocrites, which is what we really are. And so the consequences for sin is great. They were cursed because of their sin. Their offspring were cursed. They have been humiliated. They'll cause many people to stumble, and they'll be despised among the people. So taking all those things that we see, what happened to the priests? I was I was praying through this and processing through this and go, how does it apply to you and I in this room? And there's two truths that we can understand from the consequences of sin that is found from everything we just read. And the first one is, it's God's hatred for sin. And if you didn't see that this morning, and if you didn't see it just now, I don't, I don't know how else to paint it for you. God hates sin. I and mean, God was so upset with him this morning, he told him to close the doors. He told him they are doing evil in his sight. He said he wasn't going to accept their offering. And then now, he says he's going to humiliate them. He's going to curse them. Because of their sinfulness, God hates sin. And so often in our lives, we think of God as this big, giant teddy bear in heaven, right? Just come to me. It doesn't matter what you do or who you are or what you say. I'll accept you, and I'll just love you. Continue to live the life the way that you're living. And God is not just some big teddy bear in heaven. Well, God is a great warrior king, a righteous judge, a holy God. And yes, you come to him as you are, but you come through the person of Jesus Christ who is an example of God's hatred for sin because God hates sin so much that he was willing to send Jesus to die, Jesus to be punished, for Jesus to receive God's holy wrath that you and I deserve. So because of our sinfulness, there's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness and all the amazing things that are entailed with that but that's because of Jesus, not because God is passive of sin or not because God disregards sin or doesn't think it's a big deal. Trust me, it's a big deal. God hates sin. But we can always repent and turn to him and embrace him because of his love and his mercy and his forgiveness that is made available through Christ. So never take your sin lightly. Never take it lightly. And then we see also another consequence of sin. We see that the effects of our sinfulness from the people around us. So often we think sin is very isolated to who we are. We think, you know, if I sin, it's just affecting me, it's just affecting myself, but there's ramifications. I mean, the offsprings of the priests were affected by the sin. We see that the sin affected, it was a stumbling block to the people around you. If you don't think your sin affects your coworkers and your family and your spouses and your children, then you're wrong. There's great consequences to our sin. And the priests, they were causing people to stumble. Their offspring were affected by their sinfulness. There's great consequences to their sinfulness. And other people around us are affected. So if they're sinning your life, I plead with you, I beg with you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, what Christ has accomplished for you, turn from your sins, repent of them, and trust in Jesus. And allow his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace to renew you and to strengthen you and to give you the power to live the Christian life. Worship God in your heart, first of all, and allow that to be an outspring of your actions. And so there's consequences to our sins. But the good news is, is once we have honored God and worshiped God in our hearts, and we've turned from our sin and we want to glorify him with our actions, he gives us practical steps here. These are great steps that he gives us that I encourage each one of you to, to write down, to make note of. How can I honor God with my life? I want to worship him for all that he is. Now, what are some steps I can take? Malachi gives us steps. And he gives us steps based on a covenant that he talks about. Look what he mentions here, going back to to verse 4. So shall you know that I have set this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. This covenant with Levi that he's talking about, it's a covenant with the priest. It's often called the covenant... Of grant and it was given um, in numbers chapter 25 to Phinehas it was the grandson of Aaron and God gives his covenant to him he says this is the way the priest should live this is the way that you should live your life this is the way that you should conduct yourself because what you're doing now is not working priest but once your hearts begin to worship me here's some practical steps you can take this is the way that you should be living so he says in verse 5 for my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. I love that, he stood in awe of my name. Isn't that just what worship is? When we stand in awe of God's name, of who he is, he said his heart was right with me. His heart worshiped me for who I am. This is a covenant of life and peace, not a covenant of burden or a covenant of of hardships, it's a covenant of life and a covenant with peace. And he stood in awe of my name. Priest, you need to stand in awe of who I am. And us in this room, we have to start by first standing in awe of who God is, by worshiping him with our hearts. And then goes in verse 6, and he says, True instruction was found in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. The first thing someone does who's honoring God with their life, He's worshiping with their heart, as they speak truth. True instruction was found in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He spoke truth. He spoke what was right. He spoke God's truth. He spoke the truth of scripture. As Christians, we have the great responsibility of speaking truth in a world that does not regard speaking truth as being very important. I mean, we see it all around us, from politics down to our coworkers that we work with. Speaking truth is not a big deal. Fudging things around, exaggerating things. But as Christians, we're called to speak the truth, and the truth that is found in God's word. We speak truth with our lips. Hearts that worship God speak truth with their lips. It says, he walked with me in peace and uprighteousness, and he turned away many from evil. He walked with me with peace and uprighteousness. First of all, he walked. Which means there's fellowship with God there's fellowship between the peace the priest, and God and once we were living according to this covenant there's fellowship with us and God because what Christ has accomplished our hearts of worshiping God we are fellowshiping with God we are spending time with God we're spending time in his word individually we're spending time praying to God we're coming here collectively to the local church we're getting involved and plugged in a, in a small group or a study school class. And we're getting involved with God's people. We're walking with God on a consistent basis. Fellowship with God is one of the greatest benefits of the Christian life. Actually, it is the greatest benefit of the Christian life that we get life with God. And so once you worship God with our heart, they walk with Him. We have fellowship with Him. We live with Him. Oh, what a great privilege that is. It's so easy for us to take advantage of. And they walked with peace and uprighteousness, which means they walked in obedience to God. They're obedient in the things that they said. They're obedient in honoring God and what he told them to say. Because often God tells us to say and do things that we really don't want to do. Not at all. We have that wrestling in our heart and we have that, you know, that our stomach begins to turn because we know like, God wants me to do this. But this is the last thing on earth that I want to do right now. Or this because of fear, like witnessing to somebody, or because of sinfulness in our life, we don't want to give up something that we love and care about, even though it might be sinful. So we have this wrestling within our souls, but we walk in obedience. We're saying, God, you're so much greater than this. My heart worships you. My heart is in awe of you. So because of that, even if I don't want to, even in my gut reaction to say no, I'm going to walk in obedience to you because that honor you, that glorifies you. Because I love you so much, God. So we walk in obedience. truth is on our lips. We have fellowship with God. We walk in obedience to him. And he says, and he turned many from iniquity. A true priest had a heart to turn people away from their sins. As Christians, that we should have a heart that turn people away from their sins. We should have a heart for the lost. We should have a heart for the lost of the people and our coworkers and the people around us and the people in our community. And so often that can be so overwhelming, right? I mean, there's so many lost people in Lawrence County. There's so many lost people in, in the city of Dublin. So, where do we even start? Who do we even talk to? Someone once told me one time that when it comes to, to reaching out to people, and it comes to witnessing to people, when it comes to, to engaging the lost around you, it says take your sphere of influence. Start with your coworkers, right? Start with your neighbors, start with family members. As someone who has family members who are, who are lost, it's so easy to pull away from lost family members because you disagree on so much. I mean, your outlook in life is completely different. Your values are completely different. It's so easy to step back and be like, let's just not really go here. Let's kind of avoid this. But why don't we step into it with love and with grace? Always with love and grace. Don't go beat them with a Bible, right? Don't go shouting and yelling at them. Do come with grace and with love. Pray for them, you love them where they are, and you continue to remind them of the gospel. We step into the hard situations. So go to your sphere of influence. Go have a desire to reach the lost people around you. I had a pastor friend of mine said last week, if you, if your sphere of influence, if you don't have lost people in your sphere of influence, then widen your sphere of influence. It's so easy for me as a pastor not to have Unbelievers around me. So it's like widen my sphere of influence. Take a bigger step there. Reach out to the lost. Have a heart to lead people back to Christ or to lead people to Christ for the very first time, to turn them away from iniquity. Then it goes on to say in verse seven a few more practical steps that we can take. This is for the lips of priests should guard knowledge and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The lips of the priest should guard knowledge. You know, I think about guarding knowledge. He's guarding God's truth. And as priests, especially as pastors, we have a huge responsibility to guard this right here. Because there's so many churches, there's so many denominations, there's so many cults out there that try to take this and they try to twist it and try, try to use it for their financial gain or twist it so people will listen to them, or people will love them, or people will go to South Africa and drink Kool-Aid. So you have so many people who twist what God's word has to say. But like, it's our responsibilities, not just as pastors, but as God's people, to completely guard everything that is within this. Yeah, think about in the old days when you had like a water well, and the whole town would come to that water well, and that was all their supply of water was found in that one well. And who was responsible for guarding that? Because they would guard it with all that they were. They would guard it with their lives. Because once the well was poisoned, the entire town would die. It's just like God's word in our lives. Do we guard it with all that we are? When someone speaks out against it or someone teaches something that is contrary to it, do we say, no, that's, that's not what God's word says? we want to guard it with all that we are. As a pastor, this is all I have. And it will all I ever have. And I hope to pastor for 40, 50, 60 years, 100 years if God gives me the strength to do it. But I can't go anywhere but here. Because this is all that I have. This is all that my soul has, knowledge of truth, what is right and wrong, who we are as people, how we've sinned, how we can be saved, how we can be made a new creation, how we can have life with God. This is all found in God's word, and we must guard it with all that we are. They will put me down in the grave before I compromise what this says. And all of us as Christians should feel the same way about God's word, that we guard it. And it says that people would come to them for instructions. should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. See, all of us in this room are messengers of God. In different ways, in different capacities. But if you have placed your trust into Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're his messenger. You're his messenger to the lost world around us. You can tell people about God's word can tell them about what he's done for them, how he's lived and how he's died, and then he's rose from the dead so they can have life with God, their sins forgiven, and they can live even if they die. And so as Christians today, as ones who have come before God, if you've repented of your sins and placed your trust into Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that these truths are for you, that worship God, stand in awe of who he is, Have truth on your lips. Speak truth. Be obedient in the way that you walk. Enjoy fellowship with God. Spending time with Him. Spending time in His Word. Have a burden for the lost ones around you. And if you don't have a burden for the lost ones, ask God to give you a burden for the lost ones. Maybe you pick one person. One person. There's one person in my mind that that God has laid on my heart that I'm pursuing just one person right now in my life, because he's the one that I want to hear the good news of the gospel. So maybe it's one person in your life. Maybe it's many. And have a passion to protect God's word and share it with others. So as we we wrap up this morning and tonight, my hope and my desire that your hearts will worship God for who he is. Worship him for his greatness that we talked about this morning Worship him for his his great love. Worship him for his his great role in your life. Worship him for his great gift in sending Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And allow that worship to stir in you actions in your life. Actions to follow Jesus, to pursue him, to do the things that the priests were supposed to do in Malachi's day. And seek God for all that he is. Look at the consequences of your sin and realize, man, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to go down that path. Instead, I'm going to pursue Jesus and follow the ways that worship him and honor him. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's step one, to come to him, the gracious, loving God, that you deserve death, you deserve separation, you deserve nothing good, and God in his rich love and mercy gives you everything good, and the best part is Jesus, and now you can have life with God. We'll come down here in front with the final song. If you have any questions or want to come to me or just want to come down and pray, feel free to. Let's close in prayer. Lord, you're a great and awesome God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've spoken to us. We thank you for the book of Malachi. Such a small book, Lord, that is so easily overlooked. But we know that all of your word is breathed out by you. And it's profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. So that us as believers could be equipped for every good work. And so we know that every, every verse, every chapter of your word is meant for us and meant for our lives. And so thank you today, Lord, that we could see how the book of Malachi has great ramifications for us. And we want to worship you for who you are. and We want our lives to reflect that. I'm thankful and I'm excited about continuing through this book, Lord, in the coming weeks and the coming months. And I pray that you just be glorified in all that is said and all that is done. Work in the hearts of everyone in this room. You know what they're wrestling with. You know what they're fighting with. Work in their hearts and work in their souls. That you can be honored and that you can be glorified. It's in the great and mighty and magnificent name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.